this week on Hope for the Broken. Now, someone might say, well, isn't God a loving God? Doesn't he love me even though I'm a sinner? Yes. God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of love. He's full of forgiveness. He's patient, the Bible says. Oh, but let's not forget God is also a God of holiness and justice. Ultimately, we will reap what we sow. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part four titled, When We Don't Listen. We are in the middle of a teaching series that we've entitled Life Lessons as we're working our way through the Old Testament book book of 1 Samuel. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 12 through 36 this morning. And the title of this morning's message is When We Don't Listen to God. You know, there are times that I believe God speaks to us I think he is constantly speaking to us. The real question is, are we listening? And I also want you to know that the overarching lesson to this morning's study is is this, is that there are consequences to when we don't listen and we choose not to obey, or we do listen and we choose not to obey. There are heavy consequences, and we're going to see that in our text here this morning. And and so I want to kind of issue a a warning up front. There's some strong judgment that we're going to cover here, but it comes as a result of a few men that choose and that posture themselves to not obey the very voice of God. And, uh, you know, warning labels, so it's kind of like a warning label I'm issuing. And, and warning labels are something that we all are familiar with in our day and time. And uh, so I wanted to show a few of these that I found this week when I Googled warning labels that I found to be somewhat uh, humorous. Uh, the first warning label that I want to show you this morning is from a commercial washer, a clothes washer, right? Do not put any person in this washer, okay? I had never thought about doing that until right now. And that sounds really fun, right? Uh, And so that warning label didn't quite work uh, for me. Uh, What about this one? A a hairdryer that says, do not use while sleeping. I I never knew that was even possible, right? That you could dry your hair in your sleep. I guess those of you that sleepwalk, that is possible. Uh, And then if you're sleepwalking, how do you even know that you're... uh, Anyway, I digress. Uh, What about this warning label? It's, It's a picture of a hanger, and you'll see there in the middle of the hanger... Here's what's crazy about that, right? Warning labels come as a result of someone trying something, right? Like, I want to meet the guy that tried that. Uh, That is is amazing. 1 Samuel has a strong warning, a warning of judgment, of when we don't pay attention and we don't heed. And the overarching lesson is this, danger lies ahead when we choose not to listen to God. 
Okay, And so that's going to be our study this morning. We're going to look at it in a couple of different parts. Uh, what is going on in this passage of Scripture, there is a comparison between young Samuel, who is the godly example, and then the, 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 this passage contrasts that with Eli, the priest, and his sons, Phineas and Hophni. That's their names, not Phineas and Ferb. And if you know who Phineas and Ferb are, you have kids. Um, and so uh, that's a good thing. But, but we see the comparison between the two. We also learn this, that because of their choices, there are consequences. There's a positive consequence for Samuel that we're going to see, and there's a devastating consequence for Eli and his sons. And then I want us to look at a couple of life lessons for us today that I hope speaks to you as they have spoken to me deeply uh, this week. So let's first begin by looking at the comparison. Like I mentioned, verses 12 through 26, we have a comparison of Eli's sons and Samuel, the classic story of good and evil. Eli is the priest of the day, and he's in charge of the ongoings at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And he had two sons, and his two sons were his presumed predecessors. They were going to take over in leading the services in the tabernacle. There was just one major problem, and we see that in the very first verse of our study, 1 Samuel chapter 12, or chapter 2, verse 12. It says this, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Now, I feel bad for these guys. I mean, to be called worthless is one thing, and to have it contained in the holy writ for all of eternity is quite another. Um, and so the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. I think that there's a strong warning there right up front. You know, they're, obviously they knew of the Lord, right? I mean, they're carrying out the practices of the tabernacle. I mean, they know the Word of God. I mean, they know of God, but they don't know God. And we read in the pages of the New Testament that this is Jesus' biggest beef with the religious leaders of his day, right? They were like whitewashed tombs. They appeared knowledgeable on the outside, but they did not know him on the inside. And it's the same case here for Eli's sons. They did not know the Lord. Now, the term translated as worthless men in, in my Bible is a person that, that means that they practice lawlessness openly. I mean, these are openly rebellious men. They know what they're doing, and they don't even care that what they're doing is wrong. And I'm going to show you the grievousness of that. The, the actual translation here is sons of Belial, which means sons of the devil. Instead of doing the work of the Lord in the tabernacle, they're doing the devil's work. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I wish I could say from Samuel's day uh, before Christ, B.C. to today, that things have changed in the positive trend. Unfortunately, there are lots of wolves in sheep's clothing. In fact, the New Testament issues a bunch of warnings. Be on the lookout. Be aware of false teachers. And even more so, it tells us that as we near the return of Christ, the pro, uh, proliferation of these false teachers will be seen. And so we have to be aware of these false teachers. Now, there's two major sins that Eli's sons commit. 
And so I want to look at those two major sins so that we are careful not to repeat. Let's pick up in verse 13. It says, The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. And while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now, if you are a student of the Old Testament, you know and understand that God is extremely clear in the way in which the sacrifice was to be observed. But there was this custom that developed that was different than the original command. When someone would come to the tabernacle and present a sacrifice, the law said that there would be a portion that would, should be dedicated to God. And it was very descriptive as to what portion that was. A portion then dedicated to the priest, and then a portion dedicated to the person that was bringing the sacrifice. Now, by the time we get to Shiloh, the custom had changed. I want you to mark, make note of that. The custom changed. Here, they were then just boiling the meat and then sticking it in there, and then whatever came out, that was the priest's portion. This was a deviation slightly from the law of God. Now, here's the case. Every step we take away from the law of God, away from God's Word, we enter onto an even slippier slope. The, the further we distance ourselves from God's Word, more danger lies ahead. And even the tiny departures. And so what happened is Eli's sons took even more liberties than what the custom had established. So let's look at what they did. Verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast. So it's not boiling. For he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let the fat burn first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So here's what's happening here, two sins. The first one is that Eli's sons was stealing from God and from the people. The custom changed. They went even further. They didn't want the boiled meat. I mean, who does, right? Nobody wants boiled meat. They wanted the raw meat. And they wanted it before the fat had been consumed. You know why? Because that's where the flavor is. So what Eli and his sons were doing is they were saying, we want the picanha from Texas Day Brazil and y'all can have what's left. The major problem with that is that that belonged to God. And so these, these men were stealing from God. Furthermore, they wanted the meat before any of the fat had been burned. They wanted to grill it. But then they also... Uh, told the people that if they didn't give it willingly, they would take it by force. Not only are they stealing from God, they're spiritually abusing the people of God. And that is why we are told that the sin of these young men was great in the sight of the Lord. So the first grievous sin that these men committed was stealing. The second sin was sexual immorality. I skip down to verse 22. 
says this, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So these worthless men were also seducing the women in the tabernacle. They had turned the worship place of God into a nightclub. More spiritual abuse and really sexual abuse. And let me just say this. Abuse of any kind is never okay. And unfortunately, I know in a room this size, there are some of you that have been the subjects of the abuse, whether it's a verbal abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or even spiritual abuse. But I want you to know something. If that's you, and you've experienced it, and you're carrying some hurt because of that, can I just tell you something? God sees it. And God will take action on it. You can come to Him and find healing. And listen, just like the the sin of Eli's sons was great in the sight of the Lord, whoever it is that abused you, their sin is great in the sight of Almighty God. It does not go unseen. But there is help and there is healing in the very presence of God. Allow God to be your judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and vengeance will come. And so we can take heart in that. But it's also important for us in teaching this passage to realize, because we could say this, we could say, well, wait a minute. Was the issue with Eli or was the issue with Eli's sons? The issue is with both of them. And the reason why is because Eli's hands were not clean. And while he was not actively carrying out these actions of his sons, he certainly enabled it. And he enjoyed the the meat that they took from the people. And so let's look at at what happened with Eli here. Beginning in verse 23, it says, And he, being Eli, said to them, being his sons, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But here's the key. They, being his sons, would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. A couple of things here. First, the reason why we're going to see Eli get judged here is because he didn't do what he should have done. When you get a report of someone doing that, you better fire them. These young men were not fit to serve in the Lord's service. And listen, I realize the, the judgment that that brings upon myself. You know, if, if, if I'm unfit to serve, you better remove me. If you don't, the Lord will. <laughs> okay? And so Eli was judged because he didn't do what needed to be done. So we see the comparison here. First, we see the character of Eli and his sons. Now let's compare that to the character of Samuel. Verse 18. Let's get back to verse 18. It says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. 
So they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now skip down to verse 26. It says, And now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. A couple of descriptors here that we have about Samuel and the type of godly person he was. The first thing is that we see that he was ministering before the Lord. This is a completely different picture from Eli and his sons. This shows the purity and the service of Samuel. When Eli and his sons were in the ministry for what they gained, Samuel was in the ministry for whom he served. You see the difference here. The second descriptor we have in this passage is that Samuel was clothed with a linen ephod. Now that's a very important detail. This was a sleeveless garment that was reserved for Levitical priest. And so Samuel's not only serving in the capacity of a priest, but he's also recognized by the people as a man of God. In other words, he had a reputation for serving the Lord. And the robe then Samuel's mom would bring him every year was a little longer outer robe also worn by priests. But verse 26 is what really stands out to me. It shows us that Samuel grew not only in maturity, but that he also grew spiritually. It is to say that Samuel stood out in a very corrupt environment. He was a godly man, and that resulted in God using him in a powerful way. But I really like the words used to describe Samuel in this verse. It should remind you of a description of another person in the pages of the New Testament. Let me read verse 26 again. It says, And he grew both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, it's really the only record that we have of Jesus probably at age you know, 12, teenager type age. And Luke 2.52 says this, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. So that is to say, before God in the flesh, before Jesus came in the flesh, Samuel was Christ-like to his culture. And here's the lesson that we learn from that, is that God uses those pursuing to be like Jesus. We are to be holy, set apart, Men and women that reflect the very nature of Christ. Samuel was described as that. And so we see the comparison between the wickedness, worthlessness of Eli and his sons and the godliness of young Samuel. Now, as we see that, let's now look at the consequences. There are consequences for both of these groups of people. I've said this a few times, but my childhood pastor growing up, his name was Brother Lou Brown. He used to always say, you know, if you eat fat, greasy foods, you'll be a fat, greasy dude, right? And there's truth to that. And basically what it means is this, is that there are always consequences to the choices that we make. Consequences are not always negative. Consequences is more of a, an effect from a cause, right? So consequences can be positive and consequences can be negative. In the case of Samuel, they're going to be positive. But in the case of Eli and his sons, they're going to be more than 
negative, they're going to be devastating. And so we're going to see that. Let's look first at the consequences of Eli's sons. We see that picture beginning in verse 27 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says this, and there came a man of God. Now I want to just pause for just a second. I want you to underline or circle that word, those words, man of God. If you like to write in your Bible, I do. Here's the thing about that. We know very little about this man. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. The only thing that we know is that he's a godly man of God, right? It's the only thing that we know. And oftentimes, God is looking to utilize people that are no names. In fact, God is most often glorified through the weak, right? God, you don't have to be a celebrity, in other words, to be used of God. And this is just a man of God. God is looking for men and women who are obedient to him. And this man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, he's speaking on behalf of God, did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to go up to my altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering for my people? He's getting called out. Look what happens, verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares... I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out of me uh, forever. But now, declares the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. And the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. This shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Did I not tell you this is harsh judgment? Very harsh judgment. And the harsh consequence dealt out to Eli and his sons is because Eli failed to deal with his sons appropriately. That's why Eli's lumped into this. Eli and his descendants will be cut off from being priests. In other words, God will remove his ministry. The danger is, is if we fail to listen to God and fail to heed his voice, he will remove your ministry. He does this in the book of Revelation. Remember, he removes lampstands. He makes churches basically Ichabod worthless because they fail to be people that listen to his voice and are obedient to him. This is a strong warning to us. That's the negative consequence. But there is a great blessing for those that hear the voice of God and choose to follow him. So let's look at the consequences given to Samuel. Verse 35. 
this man of God continues. He says, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Who do you think he's talking about? Samuel. Who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever, and everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, say, please put me in one of the priest places that I may eat a morsel of bread. In other words, we're seeing leadership given to Samuel. God's going to establish him, bless him. You know, here's the thing that I learned from this. God always has a Samuel. You know that? No matter how bad things may get, there's always a Samuel. There's always a remnant of people that are truly dedicated to the Lord's service and the desire to follow Him. God is looking for Samuels, men and women, to say, Lord, I hear you. Here am I. Send me. And there will be a Samuel that is risen up. So we've taken a look at the comparisons and we've taken a look at the contrasts. Now I want to talk to a couple of life lessons. There are probably a gazillion life lessons we learned just from this passage of Scripture, but I want to mention two to you today. The first life lesson that we learn in this is this. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. The consequences dealt out in this passage are directly related with what these groupings of people sowed, what they put into ministry. Eli's sons hardened their heart toward their own sin, and as a result, God removed their ministry. But in Samuel, we see a pure heart in service to God, and that resulted in the blessings of God. And before we think, that's Old Testament, Pastor. We need to know and understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same way by which He deals with people and operates in the Old Testament is the same by which He does in the New Testament. The difference is is that we have a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we still must humble ourselves, receive Him, and turn from our sin. And so God works still the same. And even in the New Testament, let's look there. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap uh, corruption. Oh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is the principle in the New Testament. You reap what you sow. Now, I think it's extremely important for us to to differentiate that teaching from karma. We're all familiar with karma, right? Karma is a pagan belief. It's not biblical. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just read about karma? You reap what you sow. No, there's some major differences between the two. Karma teaches that you do good so that you get something in return. God's Word said we sow what is good so that we can be given an opportunity to reflect that upon God. Karma is extremely selfish. What do I gain? Where is the good in that? Christianity says, I live a holy lifestyle so that I have an opportunity to speak the gospel to others. It's a totally different view. You understand? right? And so we reap what we sow, yes, but it is not karma. Now, someone might say, well, isn't God a loving God? 
Doesn't he love me even though I'm a sinner? Yes. God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of love. He's full of forgiveness. He's patient, the Bible says. Oh, but let's not forget God is also a God of holiness and justice. You say, well, isn't it harsh that these two boys lost their life? My question is, is how many opportunities did they have to repent and chose not to? God is patient. But ultimately, we will reap what we sow. But the same is true of Samuel. He lived a life of purity and dedication to God, and as a result, he blessed him. Even his parents, who were obedient in coming for the annual sacrifice and developing their relationship with God, so much so that he blessed even Hannah with more children, and he blessed Samuel to lead a nation. As Christians, a people who have embraced Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we should desire a life of holiness not a life lived in the flesh. We need to sow seeds in the Spirit, not seeds in our flesh, because we will reap what we sow. And I've got to be honest with you just a minute. I've got to peel the curtain back. I know I tell you all the time I'm preaching to myself. Y'all just happen to be in the room. But I want to just take just a brief moment and share with you how this message has landed on me this week. When you look at these these examples, right? So we've got Eli and we've got his sons and then we've got Samuel. Who are they? They're church leaders. They're leaders in the tabernacle. And you know, Scripture says that you should not presume to teach, my brothers, because you will be judged more harshly. And so I want you to know, church family, that, that I come to this place here today with very much so humbled. And our elders talked about this this week. We cannot, we cannot become calloused to sin in our lives. Now let me be clear. Are we all sinners? Yes. I'm the chief among sinners. But please, May we not get to a point where we become so callous that we're accepting of sin. And listen, I know I've got to lead the way in this. Our elders understand the weight behind this. I mean, this is grave stuff, right? And if we don't, as a church, listen, if we don't pursue that path, God will remove our ministry. He will, and this is, this is the example of it. And the verse that particularly stood out to me is, is what this man of God said to Eli. He said this, Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Listen, I want so bad the hand of God upon this place. I want so bad to see the hand of God move in our midst as He is doing, beloved. But it requires us to surrender to Him to do that. And so we must posture ourselves as a spirit of humility seeking and pursuing holiness. So we will reap what we sow. The second life lesson that we learn in this passage of Scripture is this, the importance of discipline. We learn about the importance of discipline for parents, let's talk to parents for just a second. 
Discipline is important as you are raising children. Eli set a terrible example on how to raise kids. He had a very hands-off approach to discipline. Yes, he called out his sons. Yes, he confronted them. But he just slapped them on the wrist. And here's my question. Had he dealt with them appropriately, I wonder if it would have spared them of what they experienced. Discipline is painful. I remember uh, being a kid. It seemed like every time that I got in trouble and my dad came to discipline me, he'd, he'd make me read a Bible verse. You guys know the one, right? He who spares the rod spoils the child. I remember one time my dad asked me, what do you think that means? And I said, oh, you forgive me? And he said, no. And then he would say those lines that still don't make sense to me. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? That's not true, all right? That's just not true. It hurts, right? And, and, And so discipline is vitally important. But we need to realize the role of discipline in raising godly kids. Parents, listen, I just want to share something with you. Your kids are not your friends. They're gifts from God to be stewarded and raised appropriately. Now, I do think this. I do think that there comes a time when you could be friends with your children if you do the hard work of raising them up. We have four teenagers in our house. Pray for us. And so uh, with, with, with that time period, we are in this transition where we are walking this line. We're seeing the transition with our oldest and, and, and being able to become more of a friend. And that will come. But until that time, parents, train your kids up. And the best way you do that is by discipline. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The idea behind the command to bring them up is to nurture them, to train them, to give them what they need for life and godliness. And the way we do that, according to this verse, is through discipline and instruction. We are called to disciple our kids, and that happens through the vehicle of discipline. Discipline, we've got to see, is another word for training. Now, I want to press in a little bit here with you parents. When we think of discipline, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You think spanking or timeouts or or groundings, right? We think that, that that's not discipline. That's punishment. There's a difference between the two, right? Now, I often know that they go hand in hand, right? Because our kids need to realize something, that there are grave consequences to when we step outside the bounds, sometimes even painful consequences. You know what I mean? And so, so, but what we do is when we deal out punishment, whatever the punishment is, we have to realize that it's for a purpose. It's not just in anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Scripture says, We do so to train them. Mom, dad, it is your job to train your kids and discipline is the vehicle by which that happens. Because here's the deal. When we discipline our kids, we're reminding them that sin is costly and that sin robs us of true joy. And so that's what discipline is. Then let's move away from parenting and let's just talk about discipline in our own lives. You know, we need to be people that live lives of discipline. We need to be disciplined people. We need to discipline ourselves to live holy and godly lives. And the best avenue to do that is through accountability. 
Listen, accountability is a great thing. And we need it in our culture more than ever before. I, I can't tell you how many times I run into people that, that make terrible mistakes but don't want to deal with the, the consequences that come their way, right? It's always someone else's fault. And we get that, by the way, from the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve said and God came through and he was holding Adam accountable? What did Adam say? He said, I'm out of this, God. It's, it's the woman you gave me. I mean, I'm out. Right? He's playing the blame game. And we do it too. When we need to own our stuff, we need to realize that our choices have consequences and we need to own up to that and we need to be held accountable to it. And listen, accountability is almost always uncomfortable for both the the person offering it and the person receiving it. And I want you to think about the man of God that confronted Eli. Again, we don't know his name, but you know he knew who Eli was. Eli was the priest. And yet he was given this task to confront him. It had to be extremely difficult. But here's the thing that we learn. Accountability is necessary, right? Because I I have this natural tendency to wander off the path. And the most loving thing that you could do for me is to pull me back on the path. That's the most loving thing you could do for anyone. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy again i wonder had eli chosen to wound his sons had they not have changed their actions because he failed to do so they continued on and they experienced hurt and pain we need to be a people willing to hold our brothers and sisters accountable but we also need to be a people ready to receive accountability And in the end, though it's painful, it is always a blessing. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.